so I apologize for that. All right, uh, I want to talk to you this morning about uh, the dangers of prosperity and the dangers of adversity. Lessons on prosperity and adversity. Uh, as we go through this life, each of us are going to go through trials and difficulties. And, uh, you know, we've seen so many people through my ministry that I've been here, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of people that get anxious for certain things in life only to attain them and to be let down. For instance, uh, how many people I've known who, who they're, 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 all they want is their desire is to retire, to retire, retire, looking forward to retirement. And I'd say, well, what are you going to do when you retire? And they say, nothing, absolutely nothing. And then they retire. Next thing you know, they get sick and they never get to enjoy that retirement. Uh, our text says, I know in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God had set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. And then Philippians, and I miswrote uh, the verse for Randy, wanted to read verse 12, which says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. And everywhere in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, uh, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And you think about it, what is uh, the best days of your life? Uh, your childhood? Your teen years? 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s? 70s, 80s, we go any further? Ray Swingles here, we'd have to go all the way up to 100, right? But what are the best days of your life? Uh, I remember when I first got saved, I was planning to get married, and it was just about a week or a couple weeks before we are getting get married and and uh, I was trying to figure out a way to make a living because right? really since I was 15, 16 years old all I did was I played uh, bar rooms and nightclubs and different things and and uh, I really knew God didn't want that for me and he, he didn't want me involved in that aspect of the music business and I had a degree in music so I thought well maybe I could teach lessons and uh my dad had built a little addition to his house and I was going to try to make a teaching studio out of it and try to get some students together. And I called uh, a tuner. The piano was way out of tune, so I called a tuner, my tuner, and he wasn't available. He said, but I'll give you the number of another guy. I'm sure he'll come. And he gave me the number of another tuner. And this guy came, he's about 80, he's in his 80s. He was 82 years old. And he came and tuned the piano. I'm sitting there watching him tune and I, I said to the guy, I can't remember his name now, but I said to him, uh, can you make a living doing this, tuning pianos? He said, oh yeah, I make a good living. I've been doing this for 40 years or whatever. And I said, uh, well, 
on average, how much you make a week. He said, well, I make between four or $500 a week. Now in 1975, that was, that was a good living, you know. Uh, and I said, listen, I'm, I'd like to learn a trade. I said, would you be able, willing to teach me how to, how to tune pianos? And he looked at me and he said, well, you know what, I would. Uh, but my wife would get very upset if she knew I was teaching you how to tune pianos because she'd think you're going to steal all my customers. And I said, I'll, I'll, let, I'll teach you, except one condition, you never call my house. Because if my wife answers, she'll get mad. I said, well, how do I know where to meet you? He said, well, I'll call you. I said, all right. So he called me on a Monday, I think it was. And he said, I'll be meet you at such and such a public school. And I've got to tune two or three pianos there. You could come and uh, I'll mentor you there. Or you could shadow me while I'm doing this. So I carried his tools and I went around the different rooms and watched what he was doing. And, and I said, well, let me take you out to lunch. So I took him out to lunch. We went to a little diner. And I was just a new Christian, only been saved about a year, maybe not even. And I said, uh, let me ask you a question. I said, do you know for certain when you die, you're going to go to heaven? And he said, well, he said, I'm an elder in the Presbyterian church. I've lived a good life. I've, I've been uh, serving the Lord doing that. And I said, well, the most important thing is you know you're going to heaven. And I gave my testimony. I told him how God changed my life and how, you know, uh, God was working in my life. And then I said, you know, God's done some great things in my life. And I met, I, I met my wife at a Bible study and we're going to get married next week. He goes, mistake, 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 bad mistake, bad mistake. I said, well, why do you say that? He said, look she may look good now, but look at her 30 years from now, she'll look just like her mother. <laughs> now, I don't know if you, some of you remember Midgey. How many remember Midgey? All right. Well, Midgey looked pretty good at age 70. <laughs> and, uh, and, and she, uh, she always looked younger. In fact, we, we did a senior's banquet or senior's concert at uh, Brother Howe's church. It's right up the road from where Midge lived. And we'd always say, Midge, want to go with us to the senior, uh, senior, uh, uh, super seniors? She goes, what do I want to be with all those old people? <laughs> and here she's 80 years old. She don't want to be with old people. <laughs> all right, she never thought she ever was old. She, she just wasn't, she never got there. But anyway, so I, I said, well, that's, that's, you know, I won't be too bad then. So... My wife and I, we went, got married, and then we went on our honeymoon, and I got back home, and I never do this. I never do this. For some reason, I opened up the newspaper. We didn't even get the newspaper. It was probably your parents at your parents' house. I opened up the newspaper at uh, Cardi's house, and I turned to the obituaries, and that guy's name was in there. And while I was having lunch with him, I'll never forget him saying to me, telling me how he's lo he just had open heart surgery and how he was not doing too good physically. In fact, he could hardly carry his tools. I helped him do that. And I'll never forget the words he said. He said, I don't understand in the prime of my life why I have to be sick. 
Now here I am, a 20-year-old young man, looking at an 82-year-old man, saying that he's in the prime of his life. Do you know what? The prime of your life always changes. If you're 20, you're in the prime of your life. If you're 30, you're in the prime of your life. It don't matter what age you are, you are always in the prime of your life, isn't it? Amazing. You know, I never did get a phone call from that fellow, but uh, it's so sad. I hope he gave his heart to the Lord, but I'm so glad that I did witness to him. And uh, our text says this, in the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should not find anything after him. Now, in this life, there'll be good times. There'll be good times. There'll be days of prosperity. There'll be days of joy. Uh, not all of life is bitter. And I praise God for, for that, amen? I mean, sometimes we have a good time. I mean, when Randy calls me over for steak, we have a good time. Amen, Randy? He says, uh, we, we were going by a steakhouse the other day, and they get $50 a steak, and Randy said, my steaks are better. <laughs> and they are better because I don't have to pay for them. <laughs> but there are some joyful times in this life, right? There are some good times. We, we, we have some sweet times. And... But I want to talk to you about the dangers of the good times. The dangers. People, uh, there, there are some temptations that we can face during prosperity that we will never face during adversity. Uh, you know, in times of adversity, it's not really good to be an atheist. You know that? I mean... Do you ever see atheists going to nursing homes consoling people? In fact, many atheists don't want to even look at face death. I've known some unbelievers who would not even go to a funeral home. They, they say, I don't go to funerals because they can't face a funeral. I had a relative that was that way. He wouldn't come to my father's funeral because, you know, it, it spooked them out. Now, the atheists don't have a message to share in nursing homes, but they do, they do look for good times. In times of difficulties, more people are drawn to the Lord than in times of pros prosperity. Uh, there's another verse in the Bible. We'll, we'll go to some of these verses if you like. Turn to Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 7, because this is a wonderful verse here that pretty much teaches somewhat of what I'm trying to say this morning. In Proverbs 30 and verse 7, it says this. It says, two things I require of thee, of thee deny me them not before I die. All right, uh, Proverbs 30 and verse 7. If you need it, it's 898 in your pew Bible. It says, two things I require of thee, deny them not me before I die. Uh, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? 
or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Now, here the writer in Proverbs, uh, a fellow by the name of Agur, don't really know who he is, but he was certainly probably a godly man, I'm no doubt. He says wisely, he says, there's two things that I may face that I don't want to face in this life. That is too much prosperity or too much adversity. Feed me with food convenient, because if I have too much, I might be full and deny thee. Or if things get too bad, I might say who, uh, I might take the name of the Lord in vain. I might abandon my faith. And so we need to be careful of the, of, of the dangers of prosperity. And the danger of prosperity is simply this, that we forget the Lord. Uh, oftentimes, prosperity will cause us to forget the Lord. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, it says, beware, Moses was warning the children of Israel. He says, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and are full uh, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and as thou hast multiplied, that thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You see, there's a danger when things are going well. We many times like to attribute our successes to our talents, our abilities, the things we do. Uh, I remember Midgicardi used to have a wonderful saying. She said, the Lord gets the credit. We used to think she was a little wacky at times, but, but she really wasn't now that I think about it. Because the Lord needs to get the credit, amen? The Lord needs to get the credit. And if we take the credit, we're in danger. You know, God fed the children of Israel with manna, and it says in Deuteronomy 8, he says, I fed thee with manna which thy fathers knew not, that I might humble thee and prove thee. And, and he did that, he said, lest you say in thine heart, my power, my might, and mine hand had gotten me all this wealth. But you should remember the Lord thy God. Listen, it only take one little thing out of place in that little body of yours. One little blood vessel that constricts too much. One little blood clot that travels where it should not travel. One little obstruction. And folks, your whole body will go down. I mean, it's totally amazing how God keeps us going. We're, uh, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We have no idea, you know. Lest you forget the Lord. God, if God gives you the health to work, praise God. In the day of prosperity, consider. 
It's easy to forget God when things are going well. It's easy to think we're the ones that brought all our successes. It's easy to think we're the ones that worked to gain the wealth and the prosperity. There's a danger in the blessings. We may forget to praise God from whom all blessings flow. All blessings come from God above. He alone brings prosperity and blessings. So what is the danger of prosperity? You forget you forget the one that allowed you the blessings. You forget to give God the praise. You know, I remember I was at a pastor's fellowship one time and the pastor challenged us to spend, see how long we could go thanking God and praising God. You'd be surprised how quickly you run out of stuff. But if we have a lot of things we want to pray about, we can pray for hours and hours and hours and ask God for things. But all of a sudden, we kind of, uh, you know, run out of gas when it comes to praising God. But folks, the danger is we forget to praise God. All right, let's look at another passage. Second Samuel, what's the danger of prosperity? What's the danger of a life of ease? What's the danger that we may face when things are going well. You know, in a time of prosperity, rejoice. Is that, you know, it says in 2 Samuel 11 and verse 1, in those days the years was expired, and at that time when the kings went forth to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. You know, as you get more secure, as you get older, as you get established, as people get established in business, if they work their business right, they wind up getting workers and helpers, and pretty soon they don't need to do it themselves. And this was David. He had thousands upon thousands of men. He had able body. He had good soldiers like Joab. He could trust him. He knew what to do. He knew how to fight better than David himself. David trained his mighty men. He slew giants and his mighty men slew giants. Imagine the wonderful uh, peace and prosperity that he was having. Finally, his men, as he was getting older, his men said, David, don't you come out. You're too old. Don't you spend this. Look at Relax, we've got this. Stay home. Well, you know what? David wasn't used to staying home. He didn't know what to do with himself when he stayed home. So he had a restless night. He couldn't sleep. He goes up to the rooftop and uh, uh, looks over to... Um, over his roof to see and sees a woman washing herself. And now, meanwhile, he had so many wives, he, lost, he can't remember her names. You think Solomon at times forgot, didn't forget some of the names of his wives? Well, David wasn't as bad as Solomon, but he had a lot of wives. And he looked up there and he saw one of the servants says, 
Which one is that? <laughs> See, there was a sacred bath, which was the Jews called it a mikvah. And it, the women would be required by the law to bathe in the mikvah after cer- at a certain point so that then before they could have a relationship with their husband, they had to bathe in the mikvah. So he looked out and see which of his concubines were in the mikvah. And lo and behold, there was this woman Bathsheba. Which one's that? I don't know who she is. Oh, they said, that's Bathsheba, taking a bath in your mikvah. That's why they call her Bathsheba. <laughs> no, I, I, I made that up. I get that from the Hebrew. You see, I know Hebrew. No. And you know, he said, well, call her to me. You know what one of the dangers of prosperity is? Immorality. Do you know why? You know, somebody sent me a video of Biden when he was younger. Saying point blank, there was no reason to have a law allowing homosexual marriages. He says a marriage is between a man and a woman. Period. Saying it clears the bell. I mean, with his own words. But if you ask him today, he said, no, I never said that. But he said it. It's on video. It's recorded. But he said, I never said that. Obama said it. I remember hearing him before... He was elected. He said it. Then all of a sudden, something changed. What changed? What changed? What changed? Let me tell you what changed. The money. Do you know some of the richest people in the world are homosexuals? Do you know they give more money to political causes than heterosexuals? A heterosexual, a person with a husband, wife, children... Think about all those kids you want to help out. We're going to see my daughter, Jessica. Half of the car is gifts that we didn't give her for Christmas because she couldn't come. Huh? Now, a homosexual is not going to have children. So what are they going to do with all, think about all the money they could give to political causes. Follow the money trail, folks. For the love of money is what? And listen, the Democratic Party today makes twice, makes far more money than the Republican Party. I was in Manila and I was in Manila, and by the way, that's their platform. The platform of the Democratic Party today is abortion, transgenders, homosexuality. Look, I'm, I'm not being political. I'm being true. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just telling you to, you know, I don't like, the fact is, sin is sin. I don't care who holds it. Preacher, you shouldn't be political. Well, when the politics are wrong, you gotta, you got to say, the politics are against, against this book, amen? amen? Any Anybody that's half decent that tries to stay with the Democratic Party, like anybody that holds something that's 
somewhat the old Democratic agenda, like this new Kennedy, you know? RFK, they kick them out. Well, we can't have that. We can't have that stuff. You know? The old Bob Casey, they kicked him out. Or they, they wouldn't let him speak at certain things because he was against abortion. You know? Folks, this is crazy stuff, but follow the money trail. Follow the money trail, that's all. Just follow the money trail. These people have more money. Why? Because prosperity leads to immorality if you do not know the Lord. Did you hear me? Look at Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Ezekiel chapter 16, 49. Now, I have a business. but I was just talking to somebody about my business. And... I said to him, point blank, I lose more money than I make because of the way I operate. I won't work Sundays. I don't, you know, I take off a whole week for revival. There's something at the church, I tell, you know, boom, I do it. I do for the church, amen? That's what I do. But I could make a whole lot more money if I had a, my own building and my own this, my own that. But folks... I couldn't serve the Lord like I'm serving. And what does it say? Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I told you about that tuner that died. And I remember my preacher uh, encouraging me to go to Bible college for music. And I did. I went to Baptist Bible College. But, you know, I was taking a course on tuning. I went to Philadelphia, some little school there. and But I, I, I didn't... Uh, I, I quit. I quit because the church, it was the schedule. When the classes were scheduled, conflicted with church activities, I quit, the, I quit taking those courses. And you know what? Today, I, I learned how to tune in God's time, the way he wanted me. You don't ever give anything up for God, you know? It's, it's all right. You could do that if you want. You know? Didn't matter anything. You know, the thing is, put God first. Put God, you never, you never, you never sacrifice anything when you put God first, amen? But anyway, here, look at Ezekiel chapter 16, 49. Behold, this is the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. They were haughty. They committed what? Abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away. And what was, their, what was their sin, folks? What motivated their sin? Fullness of bread. Abundance of idleness. In other words, they had it easy. They were, they were prospering. They, they didn't need anything. They, they were well-fed and... They committed abominations. There are certain sins that are luxury sins. I'm going to tell you something. Homosexuality is a luxury sin. And people that get involved in it usually have a lot of free time to mess around. 
And they, they turn around and say, it's an abomination. And that's what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. They became idle. They became idle because they had it too good. And they committed abominations. They experimented sexually. They experimented sexually. And here is David at the top of his roof. Everything's going good for him. And what does he do? He experiments sexually. And you know, when God exposed his sin, he said, David, if you wanted another wife, I would have gave you that another wife. Not that God wanted him to have another wife. But there's some things you do, you cross the line, amen? There are some sins that are worse than other sins. There are some things that are an abomination. And when he had a sexual relationship with Bathsheba, and when he killed Uriah the Hittite, he stepped over the line, folks. And he suffered for it. Now, that's not to say God didn't forgive him. God forgave him, but he suffered repercussions. You know? I remember when Shar was, was very young, she was just a baby, and she purposely spilled her cereal all over the floor. Remember, Evie? And I said, now, Shar, you're going to pick every one of those things up. And so she got down on her knees and she was one at a time putting it back in. I was suffering more than her. And Evie says, when she turned her back, I was like, you're going to pick everyone up. <laughs> you know, we suffer for the repercussion of our sins. But you know what? He didn't suffer as much as he deserved because God was gracious, amen? God is patient, God is kind. But still, don't test God, amen? Don't test him. Don't you test him. Uh, prosperity. Prosperity brings pride. Turn to Daniel chapter four and verse 29. I don't know if we're gonna get to adversity. All right, Daniel chapter four, verse 29. Mutations as every day my love the Ezekiel Daniel. Daniel chapter four and verse twenty-nine. Okay, we're uh, we read here that Nebuchadnezzar uh, God warned Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel that judgment was coming. He needed to humble himself. Well, he didn't listen. You know like so many people don't. And in verse 29, we read how God brought judgment on Nebuchadnezzar, and here's why. In verse 29, first of all, 12 months earlier, Daniel said he had a vision of a tree that was cut down, and you know, there was this vision that exactly told or foretold this incident. Um, a year goes by, he does pretty good, but then it says at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon and the king of spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built 
for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power, for the honor of my majesty. And while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and thou shalt be driven, uh, they shall drive thee from men, for thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whosoever he will. In fact, there's a place in the Bible that says he gives it to the basis of men. Gives it to whosoever he will. Gives it to the basis of men. Now they tried to get the speaker of the house. They tried to get him because he says he's a Christian. They said, well, if you're a Christian, then you believe God put Biden in office. And he said, well, yeah, God, God has total control. But then how could you be trying to get him out of office if, if you believe God put him in office? And, you know, they try these wicked people, they don't believe in a God. They don't believe God put him in office. They're just trying to trip, trip God's people up. You know, I, think he, I thought he did a good job in explaining it, but they didn't, they didn't think he did. But yet, he puts the basis of men in office sometimes. You know that? We get what we deserve sometimes. You know that? We get what we deserve. He's in control, and I, I think Speaker of the House was exactly right. But... God said, I'm going to kick you off your high horse. And look at verse 33. The same hour this thing was fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, did eat grass as an oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, the Bible says seven times. I believe that was seven years. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. Mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the most holy. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Sounds to me like Nebuchadnezzar got saved. Huh? Imagine that. Daniel led the king to the Lord. At the same time, my reason returned unto me for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. Now, how in the world did that happen? Who kept things going for seven years? I think it was his right-hand man, Daniel. Daniel said, don't touch this. Don't touch that. He'll be back. Don't worry about it. He's coming back. You see. And my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, and all whose works are truth, and his ways and judgment, and all those that walk in pride he's able to abase. Right? This morning in Sunday school I said, I could never run for a political office. Because every single one of these politicians have to magnify themselves. Think about that. You know anybody that ever gets elected? 
that gives God the glory? If he does, they think he's nuts. Daniel kept everything together for him. All right, we go, I'll just give you the illustrations. Hezekiah, you remember he was sick? The Lord said, get your act together, you're going to die. He wept to the Lord, he cried to the Lord, and while Isaiah was leaving, God said to Isaiah, go back and tell him, I heard his prayer, I heard his prayer, I'm going to give him 15 more years. Go back and, uh, and make a cluster of figs and give him, that'll be his medicine, make that, make that uh, uh, cluster of figs and put it on his boil. And that drained the boil. I don't know what it did exactly, but it was a medical, uh, it was a miracle of God that he healed him. And also he used that as a, whether it was a sign or whether it was some kind of medicinal thing that we don't know, but he was healed. And God did some great, wonderful things for him. But then all of a sudden the Babylonians come in and he hobnobs with them and starts drinking wine with them. And he's showing off his kingdom, showing off everything God did for him, but didn't give God the glory. Did not give God the credit, as Midgey would said. He accepted the flattery. And therefore God was angry and told him God's judgment was going to come upon the nation because of that. And even then he didn't weep and mourn. He said, well, praise God. He said, thank God. Peace will be in my days. Yeah, well. Now, folks, <clears throat> this is the danger of prosperity. You know, the Bible says, I know how to abound. I know how to be abased. In everything I know how to, I know how to deal with a lot. I know how to deal with a little. Now, the next thing is adversity. Adversity. Now, some people give up in the days of adversity. You know, that was the whole purpose of the book of Job, to, to show, to prove whether or not Job would stay to the stuff in times of adversity. Is there anybody that suffered adversity like Job? I mean, man, he really suffered adversity, you know? And we're going to deal with that tonight. I don't have a lot of time. Let me see if I could just give you a, a point here that in days of adversity, we could get bitter at God. You know, you could get bitter at God because you're going through some tough times. But listen, we're all going to go through tough times in this life. You can, everything can't be, he sets a good day against a bad day. You, you got to be mellow. You got, you got to mellow out the good times with the bad times and just kind of work the middle, the, the center. In other words, listen, some people are all, you know, they're all over, when, 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 when things are going great, they're jumping, hallelujah, man, everything's great. When the things are going bad, I mean, they're just so, they're ready. You know, the number one killer of young people today, one of the number one killers of young people today is suicide. And you know why they commit suicide? Kids, when they're young, they think they have no life before them. Something happens that's so devastating, they don't even want to live. There ought to be nothing that happens in your life where you lose that kind of hope. Because as long as you're alive, there's hope. You know, in Ecclesiastes, he said, wherefore doth the living man complain for the punishment of his sins? The wages of sin is what? Who deserves death? All of us. 
we're going to die. There will be a day of adversity that will finally take us. You, know, you get sick. Sometimes I get sick. I think to myself, is this it? Is this it? You never know when it will be it, right? You never know. One of them's going to take us. One of those sicknesses, that'll be it. Well, you know, now, let me give you an illustration. When you listen to the radio, they want, I have a little uh, project studio where I do music for our choir. You all know that. There's this thing they call a limiter, expander, compressor. There's a little piece of equipment. And what they do is they try to make the sound comfortable. They don't want it to be too loud. They don't want it to be too soft. So the, the radio, they do this so that you can always, like every single radio show you listen to, they put one of those things on. So even if the guy whispers, you're still going to hear him. And if he shouts, it doesn't sound too loud. It just keeps putting it right in the middle. It makes it comfortable. You want to know how to be comfortable in this life? Take the highs and bring them down. Take the lows and bring them up. And kind of work everything in the middle. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you came here, you came, after service, you said, Preacher, I want to give you a million dollars for the work. Here's a check for a million dollars. I would not be like those game show people. Ah, ah. <laughs> Frank Bissell, come down. You know what I would do? I said, well, God bless you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? That's what I would do. You say, how do I know that? Try me. <laughs> Just go ahead and try it. See what I do. We've got to bring the lows up. Don't get too discouraged. Listen, Brother Carter, when he had his uh, concession out there at Lackawanna State Park, He's looking for a lot of uh, restaurant equipment. My brother had a restaurant. The restaurant burned down. And I called my brother, because he asked if any of my family had restaurant equipment. So I called my brother. He said, yeah, I got a lot of stuff. I don't remember what he gave you. But he said, just come down and get it. So Peter said, could we go down? I had a little trailer. I said, okay, we'll put it in. I'll take my trailer. We'll go. All right. So we're headed down to Philadelphia, my little trailer, little a little trail. I made the trail. I got it from Eddie Jones, gave me an axle. I put a floor on it and I put sides. It looked like a garbage trailer. I used to move pianos in it, believe it or not. Sanford and Yeah. So anyway, we had this trailer. I'm going down the road and all of a sudden the trailer came loose. And it went, Pzip. and I said to Peter, I said, Peter, we lost it. It's gone. He said, what are you talking about? I said, the trailer. The trailer got unhooked. He said, well, pull over. I pulled over, and we go running there, <clears throat> and a big tractor trailer comes in, and bam, it runs, right? Because it was black. You couldn't see it. And he ran right over the trailer. And I said, well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh <laughs> So we pulled that thing, 
we pulled the, 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 the trailer off the road and there was all kind of, uh, you know, anyway. Like it took the license plate off and called the tow company. And, but anyway, we went back down to Philadelphia. My brother gave Peter so much stuff, it would not have fit in that trailer anyway. I think we would have got killed trying to bring it up. So it was all of the Lord. Not only that, the insurance, I paid maybe two, three hundred bucks for that trailer for the wood and this and all. You know, the insurance company gave me over a thousand dollars for that trailer. And I bought a better trailer. And meanwhile, we went down there and then Peter, uh, we rented a, a truck, a, big, a, a bigger, quite a good U-Haul truck. And we filled that from front to back. We never could have fit all that stuff in that trailer. So God was in it. So take the lows and bring them up. God's got something good for you. Take the highs and bring them down. You know? Don't, you know, you, you just remember. This is what it says. It says, in a day of prosperity, be joyful. Thank God. Amen. Praise God. We're going to eat steak. Amen? We're going to have a good time. But in a day of adversity, consider. God set the one over against the other. Why? To the end that you should find nothing after you. Uh, you know, do you know what the Bible says? Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and what's the next word? Temperance. You know what the word temperance means? Control. It means take the highs, bring them down. Take the lows, bring them up. Be under control. Be in control, you know? And people, <clears throat> folks, that's the way to live. That's the way. You want to you wanna have a comfortable life? Live that kind of life. Because if the highs, you're always expecting these super highs, then the lows go super low. And your highs will be way up here. Your lows will be way down here. And you're going to walk around all the way up in the clouds. And the next day, you're going to be all the way in the gutter. God doesn't want you to live that way. He wants you to live a consistent life. A consistent life. Consider. Because listen, there is nothing in this life that is ultimately going to bring that contentment and fulfillment that you think you want uh, remember this, to the end that man should find nothing after him. Meaning there's absolutely nothing in this world that you should find that's going to fulfill you ultimately because it's going to let you down. You think you got it. You think this is going to make you happy. You think, well, if only you get a house, you get the house. It's not content. You find out the roof leaks. If only I get this job and you get this job and then you find out you have a problem with the people you work with. If only I get this career and then you get that career and you find out the career is not what you thought. If only I get married and you get married and 30 years later she looks like her mother. <laughs> oh, if only I hit the lottery. You know, I know people hit the lottery and they're no happier after they hit the lottery than before they hit the lottery. You know what? 
If only I get this popularity, this fame, this fortune. In day of prosperity, be joyful. In day of adversity, consider. Consider this, that man should not find nothing after him. So folks, in this life, if you find your life in this world, you're going to be most men, most miserable, most miserable, because there's going to be downers, there's going to be letdowns, there's going to be discouragement. But if you just bring the lows up and the highs down and you just be temperate, temperate, temperate in all things, you just, there, there's nothing. In all things I have learned, Paul said, to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to, be ab- to abound. In all things I've learned to be content. Let's stand. Lord, thank you now for the opportunity to share these things with your people. Lessons from prosperity. Lessons from adversity. Help us to learn these lessons and learn how to live a temperate life. Teach us to be content. In all things I've learned to be content, you said, Paul said, by way of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, teach us to live that kind of life. Bless your people. And I pray if there's some here suffering adversities and discouragement, Lord, let them take it and temper it with the knowledge of the Word of God. If anybody here <clears throat> is tempted to forget you because of the blessings you're bringing in their life, let them not get proud. Let them not get haughty. By your grace, help them to remember this message. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name.